Welcome on. Thank you for tuning in to the Bad Hombres MC Podcast, where we're having all laughs and chuckles before the start of the show, where we focus on all things pro soccer in the DMV and across the U.S. when possible. Uh, this is also my sports writer for Sports Pulse. And joining me as always, Mario Maya from Tiempo Latino. Mario, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Uh, it has been a good week to be a DC United supporter. Yeah, it has. We'll get into the Washington Spirit uh, and their draw in a second, and then we'll talk about the primary transfer day deadline, whatever that was, by DC United in a second. But uh, we have to talk about what happened on Saturday night, and that is DC United blanking Charlotte 3-0, third straight victory in league play, fourth in all competitions. Taxi scored on a penalty kick to make it one nothing, but that's not the story as it's been. All season long, Christian Viteke has another splendid performance, but it's his unassisted bicycle hit goal in the 75th minute that has all the headlines, all the talks. You've probably seen the photos, the videos. The Dave Johnson call finally came out on Twitter and then capped off by Academy star Jacob Green earning his third goal. I mean, scoring his first goal as a professional MLS player uh, with the fifth minute of stoppage time with Lewis O'Brien and Ted Pietro having assist on that final one. Mario, what are your thoughts? You were at the same. I only watched it at home. Uh, what were your thoughts? To me, this is the most complete performance United had, bar none. <laughs> yeah, I know I said this last week about their last performance, but this had everything. Defense, offense. Yeah, there was the struggles in the first 20 minutes, but after that, it was all united all the way. I don't know what team showed up, but that was a Charlotte. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, it was not. Uh, that, that was a shell of what Charlotte was. Yeah, we said it last week that we thought the Orlando game was more of their complete performance. We lied. This was the most complete performance of the season so far. They they played extremely well. I was nervy the first 20 minutes. It was a little bit physical. Andy Nahar got a yellow card within the first 10 minutes of the game. Almost could have been sent off. But afterwards, once they were able to settle a little more into the game, get the physicality out of the way, it was just clicking at all cylinders. and There was no answer to having Andy Nahar coming up the wing, playing offensively. I think this was one of his better games. And he played a full 90 in the Open Cup three days earlier against the Richmond Kickers. Uh, the midfield looked solid. I think everything just clicked. And the Christian Benteke goal could be best described as... Beautificent. It's a it's a mixture of beautiful, magnificent, beautificent. Cause my God, that place erupted when he hit that bicycle kick. Even I kind of erupted a little bit in pure joy of just watching that goal. But other than that, I think DC United pretty kind of put on a show, and everything has clicked. Uh, I think Taxi played really well. For all, he scored. He scored on the penalty kick. If you don't know how the penalty started, uh, he was taken down the box. Originally, it wasn't gonna. It wasn't called at all by the referee until they told him, "Hey, 
go to VAR, this is a penalty kick. I want to say two minutes. So the foul was on the 29th minute. He doesn't go to VAR until the 31st minute. And then it was a pretty quick VAR check, gives the penalty. Taxi slots it away. But all in all, this was a complete performance. And honest, and on a side note, I'm personally pretty happy that Ju- that Jacob Green scored his first career MLS goal. You could tell everybody's excitement on the field that everybody piles on to go celebrate with him. So it, it was good to see that an academy homegrown player got a goal. But again, excellent performance. I think the defense is start defensively. I think DC United is starting to get back to that old, sturdy, good defensive team that you saw under Ben Olsen. I think that they have played really well throughout this uh, through on this unbeaten run. This is their third shutout in four games, or yeah, third shutout in three in four league games. So. DC United is is finding its stride, and they played extremely well. I uh, with the Cubs defensively, like we've been hearing Wayne talk about, it was just going to take time in the right tactical formation, and clearly the three five two, which began under Losada, but I think Wayne realized that there needs to be a balance, and that balance is making sure that Nahar tracks back, making sure that Pedro Santos helps out, but also. Victor Paulson being the addition in that three-back and convincing him to help with that three-back has really provided consistent cover for United the whole season. Uh, Steve Birnbaum did get injured in his hip um, around the 40th minute, and then five minutes into the second half needed to be subbed out. Um, But I thought Victor Paulson held it down. Derek Williams came in for Steve. Later on, it did a magnificent job, in my opinion, helping out in the attack and then coming back and helping patrol with it defensively. But the reason the 3-5-2 works so well is because of the wing play. And he thought Pedro Santos did okay when the ball went his way, especially in the second half. That neutralized the defense in the midfield so that, you know, limited attack from the final third from uh, Charlotte would go through. But I thought Andy Nahar did excellent at uh, monitoring and then marking out uh, Kerwin Vargas. Uh, Vargas, I thought that he did an excellent job at tracking back, keeping him a check. Yeah, he got the early yellow, but then after that, Andy was clean in his tackles. Andy was always around and was just a buzzsaw uh, bothering Vargas. Vargas had no room to operate because Andy was just limiting the attack. And I thought that Klitsch and O'Brien did a great job with Swiderski trying to come up a little more and attack, attacking those open channels in the midfield, creating these opportunities for Taxi to roam and then giving Pateke more than just, you know, um, opportunities in the air to go cover. And there was mentioned in the broadcast and the um, non-radio broadcast, <laughs> it was mentioned that, you know, Christian Pateke is trying to Tell the guys, yo, I can do more than on the air, and we need the variety of the attack. Whatever that message was to the everybody else, it was kind of listened because you had Klitsch and O'Brien working balls around, taxi moving into that open space in the middle, creating chances. He got the penalty call, and that is because he was drifting 
into the middle more while Benteke stayed as the point the point man in this 3-5-2. So it kind of shifted between either a 3-5-2 to a 5-2-3-1. It shifted in which is soccer. It's going to shift all the time, these formations. But by having Taxi be the guy behind Benteke as almost the number two striker, it allows Benteke to play balls off the ground when necessary, hold up play like he's always been good this entire season. I keep saying that his hold up play has been immaculate the whole season and it continues. And Taxi, I mean, we've been waiting for him to be 100% healthy and to give us that Taxi performance when we saw when he was first signed to United. And this has probably been his best performance so far this year. Getting the call, scoring the PK, just being a general nuisance in the area providing uh, a cover for Vendeke. He had the shot at the start of the second half that just went afar on the far right post, the far left post. So United could have easily scored two more goals. That's a fact because it just, because there's something to be said about what Christian Vendeke did in that bicycle kick because it literally, right before we started this podcast, I said, Charlotte looked deflated. There, there was no offense. There was no midfield cover and drama. Like United could have literally after the second goal. So right, United could have literally, if they really wanted to, like score in two more goals. But I thought that you know they controlled the ball, maintained the shutout, which was more important, and got the third. Um, I hope this is this is the opportunity now. You have to build off of that, continue building off of that, um, because to me. I was curious, and you could bring it. You could talk about it a little more. I was a bit stunned to wake up on Thursday morning to see they beat the Richmond Kickers one nothing, and and that was, you know, people say, oh, but they got the save and the penalty and blah blah blah, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, you so should I- beat the Richmond Kickers by more than one goal. <laughs> I, I can I, I can talk about it a little more. I was there Wednesday night. Uh. DC United played all right, but I think Richmond gave them a lot of problems. Uh, Richmond was up for the task. Uh, they played Kudi Pietro as the starting nine, played him more in the middle, so there wasn't really like a consistent number nine there. And, and they they had some opportunities in front of goal that they they missed. And, and honestly, it was just one of those games where they kind of got lucky because the penalty could have that if Richmond scored the penalty, this would have been a whole different ball game. But they got the they got the win. It wasn't as convincing. It was a little more physical. And I can't believe I'm gonna say this, but Richmond gave gave DC United more competition than Charlotte did on Saturday night. So that's saying a lot. And again, this is a this is a third round U.S. Open Cup game we're talking about. But DC United played okay. I think in the final third they were missing that final touch, and that that had then I think that comes over that'll be corrected over time, and it happens when you're playing a lot of youngsters. Again, defensively they were good. I think they played defensively well. Andy Nahar was was a kind of a point of difference. The penalty that lead that leads up to Yamil Assad scoring. They took down Andy Nahar in the box. And so they did end up playing with a couple starters. Ruan and Andy Nahar were playing out in the wings. Ruan was substituted in the second half. 
Lewis O'Brien and Matias Click came in in the second half. They played okay, but they weren't that. They weren't the point of difference. What the difference with the Charlotte game is, you can tell that Matias Click and Lewis O'Brien have become that point of difference. They're kind of a pivot in the midfield. They kind of control everything that goes around the middle, and they're able to play it out to the wings. Have it be Pedro Santos, have it be Andy Nahar or Taxi, or Christian Benteke just dropping back and playing in that hold-up play in the midfield. It allows you it allows you to open up the field a little more, and that's where I think DC United excelled in this game against Charlotte. They were able to pretty much just open the field and open up their defense and allow Taxi to cook metaphorically and play and play to their strengths and just absolutely give Charlotte fits. I know that they beat Charlotte by the same scoreline three to nothing last year. This was just a much more three convincing three nothing than the first game of the season. Pero it ha- it has to be said. I think that. The comparing both games, it's kind of night and day. DC United struggled a little more against Richmond because Richmond was up a little more for the challenge. DC United played all right, but I think they could have scored a little more and been a little more consistent on the final third in the Richmond game. And in this game against Charlotte, they were a lot more consi- they were a lot more consistent. There was a lot more clarity to the ball movement defensively. They were able to hold their own. Vargas, Sudarsky, and Emmanuel Capote were clearly non-factors in this game. Uh, the, these are three guys that absolutely could that move the Charlotte offense, and they were able to neutralize them. And so, once that, once you shut them down, and once the second goal happens, I feel like DC United could have had another opportunity. Christian Benteke scored a brace, but it was called back for offsides. But it was a convincing victory, and you're starting to see them come a little more into their own now, buying a lot more into Wayne Rooney's system, seeing how they want to play. And I think it's going to be interesting once you get several players back from injury, in particular Brandon hines Ike, to see how he can make it into the starting lineup because it looks like Donovan Pines is securing a spot, more is securing his spot as a center back more and more as each game progresses. And once you get Ruan back, how, how do you alternate between him and Andy Nahar? So the, these are kind of good problems that you have if you're Wayne Rooney. But all in all, so far this week, DC United has gotten the job done. And they've done, they did it once giving a, in one game somewhat convincing fashion, but it was a hard-fought win nevertheless. And in this second game, just straight-up dominate and win in pretty convincing fashion. Right, and the Ruan injury is a thigh injury, so they don't know when he will come in. And we know, and we'll get into the transfers in a second. But yeah, the Brenda Hines Ike, it looks like he could be in uniform next week, according to uh, Wayne Rooney. And then Nigel Roberta is coming in back ahead of schedule. I think what's another thing to keep in mind is you have all these summer tournaments and you have uh, internationals. You're going to be out, Victor Paulson. You're probably going to be out of Andy Nahar for a couple of games uh, as the Gold Cup starts. So you're, it's going to be important to have a Ruan. It's going to be important to have these depth players. Because if there's one thing that's going to benefit United because they're entering this stretch where they're going to have seven games in May, including open cup play, is depth. And because early in the season they got the kids in, 
you're you're gonna have these kids and it's gonna be the opposite of what you normally see with spirit and spirit fans are gonna be like oh don't throw us under the bus no it's what's happened the past eight years when the spirit goes when the majority of their players are in international duty let's say the world cup they lose a third of their roster they're forced to play the kids and these kids haven't had time to play and so they're kind of like deer in headlights sometimes when they're out there and they're trying to play and they're like, well, what? okay, we got to adjust. Whereas I can see a Jacob Green come in here for on the on the left or the right hand side. He can play either side. I can imagine uh, Chris Durkin coming in on the in the midfield if if O'Brien's loan isn't back. You know, if he doesn't come back, I feel like there's more trust in the depth that United has created. We'll get into the transfers, but I do think that. If there's one thing we have to keep in mind is this team has not had depth the past six years, six, seven years. I can't remember the time where I could say there was a guy for every position. And I can say that this year. And it's not even to praise the club. It's more of like people are getting healthy. People are coming back fitter, stronger. And there's competition for places on the field, including the DPs. So it's a good thing to see. Um, United, like I said, has seven matches in May, first of which will be this Saturday against at Cincinnati, which is going to be a tough task. This is the Cincinnati of two years ago. This Cincinnati is different. And so hopefully on a roll. Yeah, six, one and three to start the season. Uh, only one loss. Um, they're going to be heavily competitive, so United's going to be going on the way. But United's been playing well on the road to get some of the results they've had. Um, United coming into this home game uh, had the worst home record out of all the teams in the Eastern Conference, so they definitely needed to get some results at home. So this result in Cincinnati isn't to be taken lightly, obviously, so that you should come out playing your best stuff. But let's keep in mind that they need to make sure they get points at home moving forward. The U.S. Open Cup game uh, on May 9th will be in New Jersey at Montclair State University instead of Red Bull Arena against the New York Red Bulls. United did not bid to host the game because of scheduling conflicts with the Washington Spirit. The Spirit would have will have a home game. It's a Challenge Cup game on May 10th. I saw a lot of fans being mad about this. From what I understand, U.S. soccer says you have to have your building available for both dates. Um, the 9th and the 10th were the dates. I saw Paul Amaro, the athletic, try to make the argument of, oh, I wish that, you know, they would have played at Segra or uh, Maryland Soccerplex. I'm going to say, if you're going to build a dang 20,000-seater in D.C. proper, use it. As a DC taxpayer, a former DC taxpayer, it boggles my mind that you they would use tax dollars to build the damn thing, and they won't use their building. Like no, your your games are going to be there. I don't know what the deal was when they built opened it with the city about open cup matches, but it would be ridiculous that they were to continue playing games now. Now, had it been something like we're going to honor. The 100th anniversary of the Maryland Zuckerplex or something silly like that. Sure, 
play your open cup game there. This is the honor of the building or whatever. Or if RFK still had the pitches and they wanted to put like little benches and be like, yeah, we're going to play here. If they just had the field or whatever. I'd be fine with that too. Any of those kind of silly gimmicks would have been fine. But just because, what, you think only 2,500 are going to show up? I don't even know what the attendance was with the Richmond game. Looked like a healthy eight or nine. Like, if they didn't want to bid because they already had a commitment and they probably have a commitment on the ninth. It's just not using the field. It's probably something else within the stadium. At the end of the day, the club, I understand. DC likes hosting U.S. Open Cup games. I like going to U.S. Open Cup games. But to get in all this frenzy, and we'll get into the fan frenzy on other stuff in a second. I, I just didn't seem it necessary. Maybe I'm wrong. Or am I wrong that I'm okay with them playing on the road? Last time they won the U.S. Open Cup, it was on the road. So as long as I they treat, yeah, yeah, as long you're, as you're they treat, totally you're, you're not totally wrong. Look, I understand. Can they just tre- hold on? All I'm gonna say is, as long as they treat it seriously, on like the last coaching administration that was here. That's all I'm gonna say. If you're gonna treat the tournament seriously, don't do what you did last year. That's all I'm gonna say. Yeah, don't 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 go out there and say we're gonna focus on the playoffs. All right. Uh. I understand your point of view. I understand you know, playing you play your games at your stadium proper. That's fine. Like that that's fine. Your opinion's valid. I also understand where Paulo Maurer is coming from, like having that nostalgia feel and playing games at uh, at the soccerplex. I'm just gonna say like, hey, if you don't like, you're gonna play the Red Bulls in the next round. Your biggest opponent. Why not play it at your own stadium? Why not? You want to you want to make feel the home crowd like yeah that's that's fine and all there's like a proximity and a closeness to Segra and also you got to realize that Loudoun United plays at Segra so I think they're hosting the Columbus Crew there so th- that's not going to happen and nullified everything yep it nullified everything so it's like yes I understand the sentiment of playing your games in a weird location because it gives you that nostalgia feel of U.S. Open Cup pass. But if you can't come up, if you if like there's a scheduling conflict, like hell, play it in your house. What is the point of playing games at Audi? Uh, wanting to play Open Cup games somewhere else if you could just host it at home? Yeah, it's 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 less of like not playing it in your house. I'm just like that's your house. Use it, <laughs> like. What are we what are we doing here? I, I would have been more in favor of like again if it had been something special. If it was like something to prearrange. This year we're going to play games at Ludwig Field, for example, at Maryland to honor the Maryland Day just turned twenty five. So to honor Maryland Day, we're gonna do whatever. Like something like that. Like if you give me with a gimmick, right? Then sure, I would have been fine with it. But there's no gimmick. There's no reason behind it. It's just like we know these teams are companies and they want to make money. So they're going to make the most money possible at, at their building in D.C. It just makes simple. And if it's already being used by the spirit, it's going to guarantee them at least five to six thousand more than probably what they're going to get with this U.S. Open Cup game. Is it. Now, if D.C. wants to please the fans and be like, yo, if you're going to go to this game. We'll take two travel buses. Then that's a heavy compromise. I think that 
you know, we've watered down this Atlantic Cup rivalry to the point of, like, no one cares. Um, if you want to be serious about it again, this is how you do it. You, you go, oh, you're not going to have us play at Red Bull Arena? Fine. We'll come up with your venue with, like, five, 500 to 1,000 supporters of ours. We'll pay for the travel. Make this rivalry 2012 Eastern Conference semifinals again. Right, exactly. Uh, but that's just me. Again, maybe I'm wrong. Where I don't feel like I was wrong, and I kind of agree with the fans, is this the end of the primary transfer window that came and went on on Wednesday. And this is what we got. So I'll lay out the facts. I know fans are very – there's a bit of a distinction, and Mario and I laughed all week at this. There's a three sets of our fan base – and I'm not laughing at y'all. I'm just describing y'all. They didn't do enough in this primary, the last two weeks of this primary transfer window. Who did they pick up? I don't know these guys. We'll get to them in a second. They did just enough. We went to the bargaining bin again. Typical DC United, SHIT. They got depth. Cool. Christian Bottega is still the starter, right? <laughs> Like, that's just, that's the three divisions I'm noticing online specifically of our fan base. So what ended up happening? After weeks of Wayne Rooney saying they've sent scouts to Europe, weeks of the Washington Post, the the Athletic saying DC United's out there trying to get a Uruguayan, Wayne telling fans at a season ticket holder event, we got a Chilean, a Venezuelan, some Latino coming. This magical Latino was going to come in. They end the last two weeks not getting anybody from Europe. Instead, making a trade to acquire Christian Dahomey from Vancouver Whitecaps. And then acquiring, paying 10K to, to uh, San Antonio FC for Eric Hurtado. And he's now under a one-year deal. And then re-signing uh, Steve Birnbaum to a two-year contract extension. Now, Steve says they've been working on this in the offseason. Let's say we believe him for now. And <laughs> he is the captain. It makes sense. But let's say we believe him for now. The only real two moves in are Dehome and Hurtado. Mario, before I go into the fan reaction, what were your thoughts on these three moves in particular? And did DC and I do enough at the end of this transfer window to shore up some problem areas? Um, They went outside as far as Canada and Texas to go get some players. So let's start with that. I think Christian Dahome has been a serviceable MLS player. Uh, he he's done pretty decently with Vancouver. It it, it is a solid pickup, in my opinion. Uh, but again, it goes down to we picked up another winger. They picked up another winger. I know, granted, he's like he's also forward, but technically he's a winger. You have like ten of those. You need you, you have ten of those. You have ten wingers. You picked up a winger. So I don't know if they did enough. I kind of figured they weren't gonna do much in this final transfer window when it came to like finding debt pieces or players. So I, I kind of was just like, oh, they're gonna go to the bargaining bid again, cause 
you know, go to your tried and true and what you know best. So Christian Dahomey is a solid pickup. The Eric Hurtado one's fascinating just because I didn't know Eric Hurtado was in San Antonio for, for, for a while. For a while. Um, the, this one's interesting, but at the same time, you needed a, you needed someone to play to be like the second striker. You can't, Christian Benteke can't do it all, all right? So you needed that. I love the reactions of people who are like, we paid 10K for this? I'm like, again, we paid $5 million for Edison Flores. See how that worked out. So, I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world. I'm not surprised that they didn't do much. They, I think they did okay. But, again, like, people, like, transfers are a difficult proposition because you don't know what you're going to get and if you're desperate for a player at a certain position there are going to be teams that are going to want to hike up the value so all in all i think they did okay it's wait and see but i think they're going to do a lot more in the summer transfer window to be honest with you yeah i totally understand my issue with the whole transfer window stuff is you hype it up. Wayne, and this is the novel. This is where Wayne shows that he's still learning as a manager. Don't don't show your cards. You know, the posts have been reporting that United have been sending scouts over to Europe for possible pickup, possibly the, the Rodriguez replacement in the wing. Um Especially now that they've changed to a three-five-two, a winger is important. Another backup winger. Um, so I totally understand that. Um, but I agree with the fan base. Is this? Um, you can't be hyping stuff up and then not show up, and then that's right. The issue. You're just promising a bill of goods that you can't really, you can't really, um, you can't really promise at the time. Right, and I think when we talked earlier this week, I was like. When you do that, it could hurt your value when you're trying to make move happen. And, it's, you know, I remember the conversations in the legend about, like, Usano Emilio and how they were supposed to get him the year before. And contract negotiations went wild, especially when it was uh, Peter Novak that went out in the media and said that, oh, we're going to get this guy. And then they ended up not getting him. Turned out it was Emilio and back and forth. And it, it, it's always weird on how these things happen. Transfers are weird. But I do think United has become this tradition of talking without confirming their deals. And that's happened a lot more since they went from Ben Olsen to Hernan Osada and Dwayne Rooney. We've seen the scouts out there talking in other podcasts giving descriptions about what kind of players each coach wants and, and which is good is good for the fans but i do think you end up hurting yourself a little bit when it comes to dealing with some of these teams especially south american players who have agents and then companies within those agencies that are trying to make money off of this in three different ways and so i'm not surprised that whatever move was supposed to happen didn't happen I can't wait to hear more about it. I'm looking at you, Steve. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, with that, I do th- I do agree with you. I think that one more pickup is going to come in. And also, here's the thing. Lewis O'Brien fell in their lap. 
I'm surprised that that happened. Like, people don't realize how big of a surprise that is. Like, no one was expecting that at all. Wayne was talking about a Uruguayan uh, South American player as early as March as a last-second addition. And then out of nowhere, oh, they're going to get Lewis O'Brien. Like, (laughs) so, so it goes into, you know, it's transfers are so fluid. I'm not excusing the club there. Um, they saw a player of need. They got O'Brien. They thought, man, this is going to work for six, seven, four, three or four months. Let's try it. See what happens. And if they fall out, you know, maybe we could see if we can get them for a cheap deal. I don't blame them for it. However, you do have an issue. You don't have a GM. You don't officially have a GM. What the heck is going on with that? Why is Dave Casper still in office? Because he was supposed to take a minimal role, but yet he's still in all the releases. He's reportedly still part of the dealings. He was supposed to take a smaller role, yet he's still involved. How involved is Wayne really? There's so many questions instead of answers. And the fans have a right to be upset because, again, they were sold. They were getting a specific type of player. And... None of those characteristics have come about. Where I do think the club did well is they needed more depth. They needed another winger. How many times in this podcast since we've begun this season, I said they need a backup striker? Almost every freaking week. (laughs) Look, Christian Matekes may say he's not available. He's told them, I don't care if you don't call me back up to the Belgium national team, whatever. But if Belgium calls and they say, yo, we had a couple injuries. You're cooking at United. Might helping us out with qualifiers. You think he's not flying out? You think he's not flying out? He's, he's on the first flight out. to Dulles to Brussels. <laughs> exactly. So they needed a backup striker. Based on everything I've read, and here's the thing. I've, guys, if you haven't read, you can't just transfer. Once you send someone to Loudoun, DC United does not fully own Loudoun anymore. They are a minority owner now of Loud United. They send kids to the academy, their, their academy kids there, but it's on full-time loans that they can't take them kids back out. So they are there. If they take them out, that kid is staying with DC United for the rest of the season. So, And none of those kids are ready yet. From if Because if so, they wouldn't have signed Eric Cartado. They would have been like, well, we'll take what's-his-face because we think he's ready to go. And they would have done that. But they didn't. Clearly, either these kids aren't ready or they're not the positions of need for DC United. I think, the home, like you said, the homie is going to be a good addition on the wing. They needed that kind of depth. Another man who's a, who's a starter, a capable starter. So when there's injuries, I mean, plug and play. Her, Eric Hurtado is my only questionable because it's been a minute since we've seen him as a starter. Since back when he was in sporting, really. Um we won't even talk about his crew time because he really, really didn't do much with the crew. And so, um, I mean, he get three goals in 24 appearances. But outside of that, I mean, he really didn't do much. He hasn't done much really since his days in Vancouver. And so you're kind of left like, what are we getting? We're getting a serviceable backup, which is what they need. They just need a backup. They need a guy who's going to come off the bench, kill some minutes, Maybe make a start or two if Christian Benteke is a little tired and so the Christian can come in in the 60th. Like, they needed a backup. Ted Cudipietro is not a nine. 
Nah, nah. He's more of Taxi's backup than he is Christian Bateke's backup. So they needed more depth pieces. They just need guys that can fill in spaces and help with the U.S. Open Cup run if they have it. Or to play Toluca. All right? They need... <laughs> oh, I can totally see Eric Hurtado being a starter against Nick Oxa in June. So, you know. Or, or, or playing, you know, these uh, Capital Cup matches. And playing when DCI finally gets eliminated from the, uh, what's it, which we'll call it, the money tournament in August. The League's uh, Cup. <laughs> the League's Cup, yeah. The Dollar Cup. Like, they, they, they can... Eric Hurtado will play the, the second game because United will be eliminated at that point or whatever. Like, he's like, will be the starter against Pumas at that point. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I don't understand the hate. If anything, applausos to San Antonio because San Antonio had it for two games. Uh, I want to shout out uh, Ryan Akiefer of the District Press who asked San Antonio fans, like, why did he not make more appearances? And they straight up said, he doesn't play our style. He's not a pressing forward. He's not a guy that gets balls from the back and creates his own play. He's more of like, I'm going to stay up top, collect balls, hold a play, point it out to the wings. If you give me a good pass, I'm going to take a shot. Sounds familiar? Christian Proteke plays the same game role. Excuse my language again. <laughs> <laughs> You're on a roll today, <laughs> I'm yeah. just saying, like the the anger, I get it. I I just said I agree with you. They sold y'all a bill of goods. I hate it when they sell y'all a bill of goods because then y'all yell at me. Like I know, I don't know jack squat about what <laughs> the move was. Please do not yell at us on Twitter. We don't know. We're we're just we we're just passing along the information. All right, we're, we're passing on what we know. I agree with the fan base of being mad and feeling like. Another transfer. We don't know if the transfer was denied. We don't know if the player wants to come in after summer vacation. We don't know anything. What we do know is that we were told, you know, I was bringing a South American player, and we ended up having Eric Hurtado, which, by the yeah, way. I mean, technically they did bring a South American player because Christian Dahomey is from Colombia after all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean – I guess. But... but it's a South American player that is totally familiar with MLS. So, you know. Also, this is the most hate I've ever seen for a guy who's from Virginia. From like, you would think. Virginia. <laughs> you would think, oh, he's coming home. Uh, even he, though he moved to Oregon. <laughs> I mean, it, that's one of those weird things. Like, I get it. Be mad, but also like, don't direct that anger towards the players. Like DC needed a backup striker, they needed an additional midfielder. They got those two things. I agree with you, Mario. I do see them making an extra move during the transfer window this summer. Yeah, just like to be honest, I'm like that that transfer window isn't the end all to be all. There's another one coming up in June, July. Like, relax. We'll still get our South American striker. Just, just you know, calm down. Also, what's to say that that guy wants to come here? What's to say that that player wants to come here, or that player thinks that the move here benefits them? Like, again, I I just. 
I think that fans have the right to be upset, but let's look at the overall picture. Does it benefit United to get a guy or that that at the end of the day may not be best for them? Or the other team doesn't want to negotiate a deal. So you're struggled with it. Now, if DC United did bungle the deal, I can't wait to hear about it because that would be great. <laughs> That's typical DC United for you. I mean, but, come on. But We're... there's very little information to suggest either or at this time. I can't, I can't speculate because we don't know. Yeah, we just don't know. So right now, just I think with what they got so far in this end of transfer window, it's going to be okay to hold you over for a couple months. Exactly. Um, and the team is still gelling. So uh, I don't want to just add a new a new starter in there when they just added Lewis O'Brien, who, again, they didn't think they were going to get. If you had told me at the start of the season – Wayne's looking to get Lewis O'Brien. I'd have been like, who and what? And how did we convince him? Like, that would have probably been your reaction. Yeah, but other than that, um, don't worry. Eric Hurtado's not going to take Christian Benteke's spot. Uh, Eric, uh, just, Eric Hurtado was on the bench in, in against uh, against um, Charlotte last night. Eric Dahomey is still working out the process right now with a visa coming from Canada, all contrary to popular belief for some of you that don't know geography, Canada is another country. It's not a territory of the United States. And so they're looking to bring him in within the following week or so heading into the Cincinnati game. And again, shout out to San Antonio making your 10K. I hope that that feeds your players for like at least the four months or provides a good flight to your next away game, because I know that's expensive. Look, DC United is helping the little, the little team. Like, like I don't understand. Hey, why, man. They you always say help the less you, fortunate. Like, why hey, are we sad about it? It just helps San Antonio get themselves some Whataburger after this. Real quick, on the Steve thing. Steve spoke to the media on Thursday. He said that they've been talking about it since at the start of the at the end of the year, heading into this year. He wouldn't go into specifics, but let's be honest here. A lot of this had to do with because Wayne and him are friends. It just makes sense. Uh, shout out to Cheyenne uh, between clean sheets. Uh, two years ago, she interviewed Steve Birnbaum, and he said he thinks he's a he's a West Coast guy. He was born in the West Coast, came to the East Coast. He th- thought at the time he may end his career Back on the West Coast. Now that's still doable. He thinks he can go past 32, 34. This contract takes him into 2025. But he's 32. This will take him all the way till he's 34. He's probably going to end his career. Like, I don't see he's going to be an East Coast guy. And he's going to probably go down as probably one of the most cap players in DC United history. He's going to come down as the captain. I think it was a good move, but let's be honest, if it wasn't for Wayne, he probably would be considering this offseason where he would have become a free agent to maybe move to the West Coast. United was probably smart, and he has been performing serviceable um, in this new formation with Wayne. Yeah, I mean, I think they just solidified, the uh, not only just solidified the future of what the back line may be looking like for the next couple of seasons, it kind of just solidifies where Steve Birnbaum may end his career. Because, I mean, he's been here his entire career, so it just makes sense for him to sign a contract extension. 
So that 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 itself, uh, he could go back to the West Coast. You don't know what other players are thinking, but no, it was a, I think it was a decent move by, in, in their part. You kind of solidified it a little more, and yeah, it does help that he's friends with Wayne Ruby. Always helps when the when you're friends with the manager and when your misses are friends with each other. Always helps. <laughs> always. Um, it's still it's always a good thing. Exactly. So luckily there was no vitriol in this. I think everybody agreed. Keep your captain at all costs. Um he just so everyone knows, he's entering he's currently playing his tenth season. He's appeared in every match this year and has scored one goal. And he is currently in third most featured player in club history, only behind uh, Jaime Moreno and Bill Hamid. Uh, I don't see him catching Jaime at 386 appearances, but he could catch Bill. By the end of this contract, who has 297 appearances, currently Birnbaum is at 256. But that's enough about Steve. Real quick, the Washington Spirit uh, played against a depleted Chicago Red Stars, yet they could only manage a 1-1 draw away from home. It is the Spirit's third draw in four games. They're still unbeaten, though. Sounds like last year again in terms of getting all these draws, yet the Spirit remains unbeaten and still in the playoff hunt. In the top uh, six slots, it was uh, Ashley Hatch who scored a PK. But four minutes later, Chicago would tie the game in the 32nd minute and stayed at a draw. From what I saw, another great performance by Paige Matier. Uh She's just outstanding for someone who was undrafted to play as a starter from the jump. Bossed around the midfield, thought she played well. And Sam Saab, she is now the new record holder for the most consecutive regular season starts, passing her teammate, fellow defender Amber Brooks, with 73 consecutive regular season starts. Uh, she'll probably keep going, barring an injury. Mario, what did you think of the Spirits 1-1 draw away from home? And they sure love to go to art school with all these draws so far. Uh, they played all right. But again, the final touch in the, the finishing on the final third continues to lack a little bit. And it showed in several instances. And I think I think that's starting that has to be an issue that they kind of gotta address gotta address a little bit. Cause again, they they finished in opportunities where they had in the moments that they had to kill off the game or take the lead. They they missed on the fi- in those final touch in that final third and it's starting to look like a little bit of an issue. Paige Metier, I think I think she's coming into her own as a player. I think she's played she played extremely well. Uh, I think she's now solidified her spot as a starter on this team. But other than that, I think that Washington, while playing all right, still lacked that killer instinct in the final third. Yeah, I agree with you there. And we've heard Mark Parsons talk about it in the previous home match. We heard him in the post game this match. Um, but I think the connections are getting there. I think the midfield is getting uh, 
more together, more cohesive, which is a good thing. I thought the spirit for the first half played very, very well in terms of hold up play, getting the midfield together, creating attack. But like you said, it's the final third. And my big issue is not even just um, the final third stuff. It's who comes in to score if Hatch and Rodman can't. And that's what we're seeing. Who's the other who's the other scoring creator? Now, Tara McCune, um, she was able to move up a little forward in this match. Maybe experimenting with her going more up front, maybe playing a little striker would be great. Um, but I know that they want to keep her in the back. Um, so we'll see on that front. Ashley Sanchez, she started off really strong. I thought Sanchez played really well in the middle to start. Uh, drifted away towards the latter half of the game. Um, Inez Yandan, uh, I thought she played well. And it has she's played really well in box-box, allowing Andy Sullivan to focus more on defensive shape. So I thought that she's done really well. But I do think Spurs going to need – they have all the pieces – for a good defense solidified at this point. I think now they have to focus on the attack, maybe address it during the uh, getting a, making another addition, um, maybe adding another player, or maybe move, flipping the formation around again. They do play in that 4-4-2 with a diamond, maybe, maybe playing a 4-2-3-1, maybe playing more to Ashley's strengths, yes, in the diamond, but maybe switching her around to get her in the wing, maybe change it to a 4-3-3. They have a lot of options, but I kind of now am understanding what Flacco was saying. I think the current formation, while Ashley's getting a lot of looks, she's not looking towards a Rodman. Rodman's playing a lot on her own on the wing. She hasn't cut as enough as she used to, to cut inside into the box, which goes back to those creation opportunities. So maybe a more closer partnership with her and Sanchez playing in that, playing a little bit side to side to each other would maybe help with the connections and maybe giving Ashley more opportunities on the frame to score. But they do need a third option. It can't just be Hatch and Rodman taking all the shots, taking all the opportunities. Um, it has to come from other people. If not, I just they may continue struggling and in terms of finding a goal and they don't want to do that May 6 in front of Big Fox against the San Diego Wave. Like last year's game was a different story. It was a back and forth affair. Spirit won in the end, but this time it's going to be a little more cagey with this defense. So they got to come out with different people coming out and score, attempting to shoot on frame, whether that's Tara coming from the back, whether that's Ashley creating her own shot, if that Sam stop finally hitting the frame on a set piece, it's, <laughs> it's like it's it's got to be something where other people are are taking chances. It can't just be the Ashley Hatch Trinity Robin story. Just can't. Right, and I think I think what if you change the formation, you could just play like a two a two man forward line up top with Hatch and uh, with Hatch and Rodman, and having Ashley Sanchez play behind them. And that's just, what they currently play. Yeah, that's the formation they currently play. All right. Well, I think it's time to switch it up. I think you want 
I think just alluding to what you said, just playing Rodman and, and Sanchez in the wings and just being at, and having Ashley Hatch as the uh, as the more of the po- the point uh, striker would be that would probably benefit them a little more and it benefits the the connection. But I think that you do need to bring another another piece in. I, I think that just to like help out a little more and, and just create a little more depth, not only because you're going into a, it's a World Cup year, you're going to kind of need it, but you kind of need to lay out your options and see what it looks like offensively because right now just the final just the final third and creating opportunities has been an issue. I think defensively they're solid. I alluded to it in the last episode. Tara McCune and Sam Stav have really worked well together as that center back pairing, and it's starting to show a lot more. Uh, Inez has played really well in the last few games, playing that box box midfield role. She's been giving she's been giving other op- opponents a lot of trouble, and she's the one that creates the penalty. Uh, gets taken down for the penalty kick. So I think they're starting to gel a little more, but I still think there's a little more, there's a, a couple more kinks that they really need to work on uh, moving forward. I think Mark Parsons is going to have to address it sooner rather than later. Yep, and he's got this Saturday. Like I said, this is a prime time on big CBS where they're going to have to address it, and the NWSL is going to have to address their commentary. But that's enough for us. <laughs> Um, for this edition, yeah, I said that. Just that's just a great way to end this episode of the Battle of Race FC podcast, where we shoot at other people. Uh, but that's enough for us. So before we let you go, Mario, tell the people where they can find out more about you. All right, if you want to know what I'm working on, or you just want to see, you just want to see my tweets about Christian Benteke's lovely goal on Saturday. You can follow me on Twitter at Mario Maya One. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram too, M underscore Amaya91. If you want to know what's going around the world or going on in the world around you, just want to know what's going on in the DMV, you can follow El Tiempo Latino too, at El Tiempo Latino on Twitter and on Instagram at El Tiempo Latino. You could go on their website, eltiempolatino.com, and you just want to put money in my pocket, you can get yourself a hard copy of El Tiempo Latino at your local newsstand and your local metro station today get that promo out there as always follow me on twitter at jose underscore m underscore mana for more special shout out as always to kamikaze ipotec without them we wouldn't have this lovely music we have at the beginning and the end of this show remember always to leave rate and subscribe to spotify stitcher apple Podcasts, all our platforms we did see some feedback positive and negative about our moises interview you know what? Why not? We'll try and see if we get him back on. He had some lovely opinions about DC United. Some of y'all either agreed or disagree. So maybe we got to get him back on here to either defend himself or to yell more lovely phrases back at the tribe. We'll find out later on in the season what we can and cannot do. But otherwise, we do appreciate the feedback and all support. We do listen to it and we appreciate it. Every word helps us get better at this podcast game so we do appreciate you and we thank you for tuning into the battle of fc podcast we will talk to you soon adios